0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Sailor. And Taylor, after what was a very quiet offseason, particularly at forward for the Buffalo Sabres, we're just getting a whole bunch of fun thrown at us now as training camp is just getting underway. We will get to the two big rumored moves that have been in the news this past week, connecting the Sabres to a couple of pretty big name forwards. But in the meantime, though, Taylor, training camp has gotten underway. The Sabres held the blue and gold scrimmage on Saturday, and they have their first preseason action of the year on Sunday Against the Washington Capitals, so exciting times here in Buffalo. A lot of stuff going on at the scrimmage yesterday. I was able to go, and it was uh, it a really good time. It was good being back in the arena, good atmosphere. So, Taylor, how do you feel about the preseason being upon us?
1: I'm excited. Yeah, there's there's genuine position battles, but there's there's so many guys I want to see that I know aren't going to be making the team right away, but are going to be part of the future. So it's just going to be so cool to see these young guys. We've talked so much about the five or whatever recent first round pick forwards, maybe six of them, if I'm counting wrong. There's there's just so many guys that are like, yeah, they're going to Rochester. but Let's see how they look here. Like, let's say J.J. Paterka in 2021. Wow, he looks great. He'll probably be ready for the NHL next year. Oh, lo and behold, he was. So I'm excited to see all those guys, and maybe even be surprised by some people that I haven't, you know, been thinking about because there's been so many top first round guys. I'm, you know, that that come to a front of mind for anyone who's excited for the preseason. Maybe there's someone else out there
0: who's going to surprise us. And hell,
1: maybe there's a a big Lucas Rusick preseason upon us.
0: Wow, you you've always been a big Rusick guy. That is for sure. I love saying
1: Lucas Rusek,
0: so. It does I, have a good ring to it. Yeah.
1: So, but you were at the scrimmage they had this weekend. Uh, so what what were your observations there?
0: Yeah, I, there was a few that really stood out to me. I think for one, a guy that's been a big topic of discussion this offseason is, of course, been first round pick Zach Benson. And he was able to get some time pretty much playing the entirety of the scrimmage with Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner. And I got to tell you, Taylor, he looked like he fit right in with them. You know, Benson is a guy that I think his game, even though he is a smaller guy, sooner rather than later, he's going to be ready to take the jump to the NHL. Now, I don't think he's going to make the team out of camp this year or anything like that. And I do think that another year in the WHL going back to Winnipeg will ultimately be good for him. But as we're talking about guys like Matt Savoy and Yuri Kulik and Isaac Roseanne right now, and their prospects at making the roster this season, just with how Benson looked when you consider his, his playmaking ability, his defensive prowess as well, his, his competency in in all three phases of the game, I think that we're going to feel a lot more. I don't know how to, I don't want to go too far with this, but I, I have a feeling that we're going to feel more confident about Benson being on the opening night roster next year than we do about those three guys making it this year, if that makes sense.
1: No, that makes sense, yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I thought he he fit well. It looked like he belonged. Uh, so it was really, really encouraging to see, and I think we're going to see some big things from him in, in in Winnipeg this year. Other guys who I thought stood out, Dylan Cousins, he's got his burst. He's got his jump. I, I, I'm I, so excited for how his game is going to continue to develop this year. I, We all know he had such a massive jump last year in rounding out his game. And while there's still something left to be desired and maybe getting a little bit more grounded in the defensive side of his game. I think that we're going to con- just this year is going to be a continuation of last year where we're going to see him just really continue to just thrive on the ice, be a play driver and really use his speed and and size in the offensive zone to just take advantage of defenders. And then additionally, I, I, I really hope that this is the year that we're going to start to see him really turn the defensive side of his game up a bit, up a notch as well. So I, I was really encouraged by how cousins looked yesterday. Um, Devin Levi, I mean, my God. So the, the setup of the, of the scrimmage was two 25 minute halves. Levi and Comrie played the first half and then UPL and Scott rats laughs played the second half. And It was I mean, Levi was great in there. Eric Comrie was was definitely solid as well. But there were some moments where, again, it's 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 barely even the preseason yet where he was maybe a little bit out of position. But Levi, on the other hand, though, it, it was more of the same of what we saw from him last year. It was it was poise. It was it was control of his body. It was just like his athleticism just shining and being on display, his ability to track pucks it was it was excellent he he was great um you know a lot of guys were of course like i said if not all of them were shaking the rust off a bit and just starting to get back into game shape and as far as levi goes he was it, it looked like it was just exactly what we saw down the stretch from him last year so that was really really encouraging there some other guys that i wanted to point out somebody that completely off the radar but i wanted to just give a shout out because i thought that he made a few good plays and i'll get into the specifics of it but it was 2023 seventh round draft pick norwin Pinocha. okay he's a defense really yeah man i see the one
1: with the crazy um like team photo
0: it was him yeah he he was the one with the crazy photo so Ooh, already so he made, he's a fun guy good vibes already but there were a few plays. So I had went with our, our pal Denis, who of course was a, a guest host on the pod before him and I are splitting uh, season tickets this year. And so we got to go test out our seats, which was great, but there was a handful of plays, man, that his ability with the puck on his stick in the offensive zone along the blue line to just find open passing lanes and being able to make reads that like, if his first read isn't available, he just knows where to go with the puck. And there was just a couple of plays where, it's almost like how we uh, like Ryan Johnson and the things we like about Ryan Johnson, where there's like a little bit of like a fluidity to his game and he's got good skating. And when he's has the puck along the blue line in the offensive zone, he's able to make just these very simple yet effective passes. And this was absolutely the case for Norwin Pinocha yesterday. Like there was, I'm not joking. There was probably like, I want to say like three or four where, he he just he either he didn't have his first option and he just a, was able to make like a very smooth play to a second option or there was a clogged lane and he was still able to get it through even going from like if he's on, you know, the the left boards along the blue line with the puck where he just it's like he takes a step towards the middle of the ice and then just was able to find the seam to put it right across onto the, uh, to, to the other, like to his winger on the opposite circle for like a wide open shot. I think he had one of those with like Olafson for example, at one point there, um, maybe it wasn't Olofsson. It might've been Olofsson actually It was either Olafson or a uh, Rosean, but it was just like, Whoa, like a couple of those. And even on uh, there was a, a handful of breakout plays too, that he had that I was like, damn, like it, it was really impressive. Um, so I, I just wanted to give him some kudos because again, it was just one of those guys where like, you know, and with all of these guys, you're like trying to look and see who's on the ice. Like, okay, like I want to lock in on Tage for this shift, or I want to lock in on Rose and, or I want to lock in on, on Kulik or something like that. I, I'm one of those guys, you know? And with, with Pinocha, it was never like, I was like particularly like looking for him on the ice, but it happened several times where he, there was just these like very solid, fluid, smooth plays that he would make where it grabbed your attention. So, again, wanted to just give him some credit there. Really funny thing, too, with Yuri Kulik talking about another guy. He had a nice goal in the scrimmage yesterday. There were a couple of plays, and again, as we're talking about this, of course we all know, getting up to speed. Guys, in a scrimmage like that, you're trying to, you know, obviously put on a show for the fans, but these guys aren't going balls to the wall, like fully engaged. And there was a couple of plays that I noticed where Kulik like was dogging it a little bit and he maybe gave up on a, on a puck battle that he could have won or something like that. Um, He he still had his moments and everything, but it was literally as I was about to lean over to Denis to be like, damn, have you noticed like Kulik has had like a couple where it's just like, he's not fully engaged out here. He just goes and scores an absolutely sick goal in the offensive zone with a couple of guys coming to put pressure on him. He skates towards the net and roofs it. And I mean, it was gorgeous and it's with, with him, you can just tell that, there is just like a natural ability there that and a natural physicality that he's going to be able to hack it at the NHL level. And while I don't think it would be detrimental or anything like that, if he ends up getting some time in Rochester, if he plays the majority of the season in Rochester, because ultimately he's going to be on the team at least next year. And I should say, at least he's going to get games this year in Buffalo. I think that there's just uh, there, there's just something to his game that he is he's going to be able to stick in this league and he's going to be able to be an effective two way forward in this league. I think a lot of it is, and as as is the case for a lot of young guys, it's going to could just come down to how engaged he is on a on a shift to shift basis. And I think what really is going to work in his favor and really is going to ultimately work in the favor of all of these forwards that we have in this prospect group here is that one of the the hallmarks of guys like Savoy and a Benson is a tenacity in their game. And when they're out there, it's 110% every shift and it's balls to the wall and they're getting after it. And I think that that internal competition, knowing that there is so much talent at the forward group is ultimately going to serve to benefit all of these guys because they're going to push each other and they're going to see... You know, if Savoy is going into the extra gear on a shift, then that means that Kulik is going to be more inclined to. And that means that Rosean is going to be more inclined to. So, yeah, it, it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be really exciting to see how these, these battles end up breaking out and how all of these forward prospects end up shaking out this upcoming season. The only other thing I'll say, too, is one thing that, again, I think we're going to be looking out for and that we're going to be talking a bit about in Rochester this year when it comes to Ryan Johnson is how his defensive game is going to really round out playing against men as compared to playing against uh college you know his his peers at the college level last season uh, even though it was a scrimmage there were a couple of times in the in his own zone whether it was like battles behind the net in like net front battles um you know guys coming down through the neutral zone and into the offensive zone and how he was kind of playing them where i i think positionally he's generally speaking pretty sound, but I think that he just needs to build some muscle up and there needs to be a little bit more of like an attitude in his game in the defensive zone, because again, in the offensive zone, like I talked about before with it, when it came to Pinocha and using that kind of comparison, when Johnson has the puck on his stick and, and he's going along the blue line, there, there's just a, a smoothness to his game. There's a, an incredible smoothness to his skating. That is it, it jumps out at you. And it did yesterday a few times, just with how he's able to make his transitions um, and, and using, utilizing his edges and whatnot. But I really am going to be looking for Ryan Johnson this year in addition to obviously wanting to see him, you know, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, quarterbacking a power play in Rochester and being able to channel the offensive side of his game at the pro level. He's really going to have to put on a little bit of muscle here and, and add a new component of physicality to his game that will ultimately allow him to be an every night guy in the NHL. But all in all, it was a really fun day. It, like I said, it was great being back in the arena and great being able to just kind of be, like, feel the atmosphere and feel that even though these guys weren't going 100 miles per hour out there, that there's a real excitement building and that there's the, the, the camaraderie that we have seen just continuously grow over the past couple of years is as good as it's ever been.
1: Well, most of that is encouraging to hear. Yeah.
0: It was so, like again and again. It's it's the first time these guys are are scrimmaging like this this year. So of course there's going to be some rust to get off, but overall it was encouraging.
1: No, absolutely, that's good. All right, uh, so we're gonna get to some other stuff, but I think before that we should hear a word from our sponsors. And of course, the show is sponsored by DraftKings. And DraftKings is back with another week of football. So here at DraftKings Sportsbook, we're keeping up on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in Instantly, in bonus bets. Throw down five of any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an in instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Football is more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can bet $5 to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Visit www1800 800 800Gambler.net. New York, call 877 8 Hope and Wire. or text Hope and Y at 467 369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, Louisiana. 21 and over, but age will vary by jurisdiction. Avoid in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. And folks, you know, of course, we're also sponsored by Western New York's number one brewery, Thin Man Brewery. And... A lot of exciting stuff. We mentioned on the Thursday show that they have a partnership with Jackrabbit now at the Chandler Street location and how that's coming along really well. Brennan and I have heard good things about that. So that's something to look forward to. But here's something else to look forward to in about three weeks, just under three weeks. So really listen up. This is important. They're having Minky Day. Everyone loves Minky Boodle. Well, they're having a whole holiday for it. When's that holiday? Saturday, October 14th from noon to 4 p.m. at one six six chandler street tickets are available at thinmanbury.com, eventbrite or the link tree on thin man's instagram that might be the easiest way to do it but you know give it a shot whatever way works for you the cost is 45 dollars, and that'll include a built-in five dollar donation to the men wear pink campaign that raises money for the american cancer society's fight against breast cancer tickets uh what do they get you well, you get exclusive access to the event. You got to have a ticket to get in. You get a thin man glass. You get one seven ounce pour of each Minky Boodle variant. So there's going to be four variants this year made by four different breweries. There's going to be live music from Olmstead Dub System and Spooky Steven. That sounds fun. And if you get there early, between noon and 1 p.m., there's going to be a Minky Boodle Mimosa bar. I can't even believe how good that sounds. So participating breweries – uh we'll each have one Minky Boodle variant brewed, which Tedman has already teased them on their Instagram. So go check those out. We've mentioned them as well. They they all sound really good. Uh, And they're never available in the local market. So you'll only be able to get these variants at Minky Boodle Day. So they will be coming from Tripping Animals in Miami, Grim Brewery in Brooklyn, RAR in Cambridge, and Atrium in Louisville, Kentucky. So those are the Those are going to be the partner breweries for the the events. But yeah, sounds like it's going to be a great time. I don't – still, like I said, I'm going to be coming back from um, a nice Ireland, England, Scotland swing to see – well, to do a lot of things, but also the Buffalo Bills will be there. So I don't know if I can make it to Mickey Boodle Day or if I will be in a jet lag coma. But honestly, I wish I could. It sounds like like the coolest thing in the world. Sounds awesome. But that's not all that's going on at Thin Man Brewery. Like I just mentioned, the Bills are playing in London two weeks from when I'm saying this, less than two weeks from when you're listening to this. And Thin Man's got a plan for that, too. So they say out of sheer excitement for American football in London, they teamed up with a London-based Hackney Brewery to come up with Buffalo Crossing. It's a 7.4% hazy IPA with notes of pineapple, dark citrus. Sorry, dank citrus. Excuse me there. Misread that. And melon. So it's in cold storage across the North Atlantic right now. So it's making its way across the ocean. Uh, more on that soon. But hey, if you're going over there, something to consider. Uh, any? I don't know if there's anything else I should mention here. There's a lot of exciting stuff coming up. We'll have trivia coming up in... Well, we don't know exactly when, but we're going to start doing trivia. We're going to, again, at Chandler, we did one that was pretty successful. So hopefully once a month, uh, starting at some point early in the season. And then, you know, it's uh, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff. We're excited for the Jackrabbit Thin Man collab. And uh, that's it. Thin Man Brewery. Check it out.
0: All right. Taylor, should we get into the big rumors now? That's
1: right. Uh, and I got to say, I don't believe them. Uh, no. Britton, I would never think that about you.
0: I was talking about the ones about you.
1: Oh, okay. Those are true. Yeah. I did do that. I did all that. Really? Stuff.
0: Yeah. You did do naked laps last night around Niagara Square for four hours straight, screaming free Tage Thompson over and over again.
1: Yes. Yes. Actually, I did. I was, but what I was saying was free Spencer Brown.
0: Oh, of course, of course.
1: Yeah, because they cloned him, and now he stinks. So we got to get the real Spencer Brown back out there, folks.
0: We need it. We need it bad, folks. No, no, no. We, of course, are talking about two pretty high-profile forwards that the Sabres were connected to this week in the form of Trevor Zegras and Patrick Kane. Two very reliable reports coming out that the Sabres at least are so, to some degree connected or have inquired on both uh, the on the Pat Kane side of things that was corroborated by both Jeremy White and Chad D Dominicus and on the Zgris. It came out that the ducks apparently had given him a bit of a low ball offer uh, as Zgris is currently in RFA right now. They're very far apart on discussions and it came out that the Sabres have called Anaheim to inquire on Trevor Zgris, uh, a pretty interesting development I guess in in both scenarios that the interest among with these two players is very real two very different scenarios where you have Kane who is a 35 year old forward who is coming off of a major hip surgery. And the hope there is that he is able to get back to the point producing player that he was two years ago as last year was a major down year for him. But with that being said, he was also dealing with a pretty serious hip injury at the time. However, surgeries of the sort for a guy of Kane's age, obviously hoping that he can return to the form that he was a couple years ago was maybe a bit of a stretch. However, we just, we simply don't know given just the, the pure offensive talent that Kane is on Zgris. Very interesting here as again, he has an RFA right now, so he would be looking for a new deal and you would have to be giving up assets to get a guy like that. But again, I think that even though both of these guys are, are pretty much like craters defensively in their own zone, I don't know if necessarily either idea should be dismissed out of hand. That's not to say that I think that either one of them is particularly a a good idea or something that the Sabres should do. But I think that it's something that is at least worth having a conversation about. So where do we want to start Taylor? Do we want to start, start with Kane or Zgris?
1: I guess let's start with uh, what a good fit. Both guys would be Sabres really need more offense, less defense, seven, six hockey. But yeah, let's, I guess let's start with Zgris.
0: Yeah. I think it is interesting with Zegras because you are right. And I, I think that as we're talking about this conversation as a whole, like big picture, it, we can acknowledge off the top that if there was a defenseman equivalent to Zegras coming available or becoming available, or that we knew was available right now, of course that should be the Sabres' main priority. If there was a goaltender that had a similar profile to what the Sabres need right now in net to provide more stability there, of course that should be the priority. But I don't think that that should preclude you from making your team better. And going and getting a guy like Zegris, I think, will make your team better. I think it gives you more flexibility throughout the lineup, and he fits with the age profile, with the rest of the forward group, and really the rest of the core as a whole. And he, he put up 65 points last year. He put up 61 points the year prior and what was his his official rookie year. Obviously, that's not everything and in the defensive stats you, you really can't ignore, but he is a positive possession player when he is on the ice, in addition to having some solid finishing ability. And I think on top of that, too, just like from a fan perspective, look, I know that we need to approach these things objectively, but you and I host a podcast, so we're allowed to let our fanhood bleed into this a little bit. Yeah, I think also it would be pretty cool to have one of the young up-and-coming faces of the NHL and of American hockey, for that matter, too, being a part of the Sabres and being a part of this young, exciting core. If you're telling me that the Sabres could have a top six of Skinner, Thompson, Tuck, Zegris, Cousins, and Quinn... And then you have the flexibility then of moving a guy like JJ Paterka down to your third line, which I'm expecting Paterka to take a, a step this year. I think Paterka is, is rock solid and he's, he's a, he's a quality player that I think is really going to grow and, and step into his own this year. But if we're being real, I'm like a, on like like on a cup contender. He's the kind of guy that's like a really good third liner, like a really good one that if he were to go to another team after he makes a run with a team that wins a cup. Yeah. Then he gets elevated in his spot, but, I think Paterka kind of fits the profile of what you would want out of a reliable scoring third-line guy. And to me, it's just, again, like I – while there's a lot of talent there as it is, and there's a lot of talent coming up through the pipeline, and yes, taking into consideration the financials, I think that's a key part of this as well. Like if Zegris wants like $10 or something like that, then of course not. But if you can get him – at or maybe even like realistically, like a little bit above where you have Tage and Cousins right now. I don't think that that's something that should be dismissed out of hand, and I, I'm I'm intrigued by it. What do you, What are your thoughts?
1: I think the most insightful thing I read this past week about all this stuff were is from the people that pointed out that Pat Brisson represents Owen Power, Trevor Zegras, and Pat Kane, and that the Sabers are working on a power extension right now. Kind of clarifies a lot, I think. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong because there's been a lot of smoke. But does seem possible that uh, maybe the agent is like, uh, hey, Kevin, help my client along here. Maybe uh, Maybe you make my one client who just had major hip surgery that no NHL players had a good career after having look a little bit more desirable. And maybe you put the heat on the team that is trying to sign my other client to an RFA contract. The Zegers thing is especially weird, though. We just heard that they, they were insanely far apart with Troy Terry uh, on a contract. And that was kind of strange, like how far apart they were. They were really lowballing him. And then, boom, do, what do you know? They have a contract, and it's not the arbitration right in the middle type deal. It's they legitimately came to a, a reasonable conclusion, a little bit less than Terry, but a lot more with, than what they wanted to give him. Maybe it's the same thing with Zegris. Like the idea that they're trying to pay him for three or four million a year is crazy to me. Uh, Zegers is really enticing guy. He was inexplicably already on the cover of a video game. He scores exciting goals. He also has only scored 46 goals in the past two seasons combined. So he's scored one less than Tage scored last year and he's young. So you're, you're betting on him getting better and the talents there, but there, there are some not red flags in terms of him being a productive NHL player. There's some red flags in terms of him being a star. And I think if I were a team in a worse position than the Sabers. I would be jumping all over trying to get him for the type of package you mentioned. Since I'm the Sabers, I don't feel that need. I know guys like don't come become available that often, especially this young, if he even is available, should say, if he even actually is available. Right. It's a little bit of a concern that he is such a negative defensive player and also doesn't score that many goals yet. And like I said, the you're, if you're an NHL GM and you trust your scouting staff and you trust the people you talk to, you should have an idea of whether or not you think he's going to get better or what kind of player he's going to develop into. You don't have a crystal ball, but you're supposed to be good at that, better than I am. At the moment, though, just as a fan, I'd be a little concerned. You're giving up a lot for a guy who like, has those concerns I mentioned, who also, at the same time, you would just have a ton of centers. So
0: Yeah, but he plays wing, you know. too.
1: Well, if you wanted to be a winger, sure.
0: Which is, I I mean, I think that that's relatively fair. Like, I, if that's what you're doing, I, I would rather have him at wing than I would having him play, you know, center for cousins or something like that. I also think, too, to a degree that I don't know. I think that something that has to be taken into consideration here and you know, it's the case I think for a lot of star, well, for good players who leave bad teams is the quality of, of his line mates and his teammates that he's been playing with. Anaheim has been a dumpster fire for the past handful of years. Like they have not been good. That's why they've been able to accumulate some of the, the high picks that they have now in their system here. And like let's be real here. Like Zgris did get a a decent amount of time playing with like Troy Terry, for example, which is obviously great, but he's also getting a lot of time playing with guys like Frank Vetrano, for example, or like Ryan Strom or Adam Henrique, which those guys just generally speaking are all fine players, but that's not like a top of the lineup quality line mate to have for a guy of Zgris's stature. And he still is able to produce with those line mates. Also not to say that there's like a direct correlation or anything like that, but I think that there should be some consideration that Troy Terry has been around the block for like a little bit. Like, yes, he's a younger guy, but he had had chances to stick. And I feel like his game really kind of took a step once he was able to play with a playmaker like Zegris. And that's the thing. Like, yeah, Zgris isn't going to put up like 40 goals a year or anything like that, but that's not the kind of guy he is. He's more of a playmaker like that. So I don't think that that's necessarily like a fair knock. I mean, I think that having, you know, in terms of like his career, he's played two full seasons, like, and since he's become an NHL player, I mean, scoring 60 point over 60 points in your age 20 and your age 21 seasons and putting up over 20 goals in both of those years too, is that's nothing to slouch about. That's the, you know, we're talking about a guy that he he's younger than the majority of the guys on this team right now. Um, And even like the younger guys, like he's a year older than Owen power you know so i think that it's absolutely fair to question is this guy a star player is he actually of that level i know a lot of his reputation gets inflated by the fact of what you said with him being like this you know he he's with the trick plays and everything and with the the skill that he has in his game that he is a he's a very flashy player but I guess it really, yeah, it comes down to what the cost would be. I mean, a one-two, middle stat, and Roseanne, it might be a little bit rich for my liking. If you were to do like a one-two in middle stat, I think that maybe makes it feel a little bit better. Cause I would think they would probably want a roster player return. Um, and if it's maybe like a lesser prospect or something like that, then yeah, maybe that makes it a little bit easier to swallow here. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like with all with this, I'm I'm not. I'm not swaying too far one way or the other, I guess. Like, I know it sounds like I'm really like down with this and think that they should do it. It's not necessarily that. I think that it's something that they shouldn't dismiss out of hand, because I think that there are real benefits that can come from it. And I think that putting a guy like Zegris with the skill that he has in this forward group could be exactly what he needs to elevate his game to that level where he's not being relied upon for being the guy like you know, it, it's kind of – I know we're about to talk about Kane, but, like, in the Kane conversation, th- the point that we've been making is that any team that brings him in, you're bringing him in to be, like, your fifth or sixth best forward, like, with where he is at his, in his career. If you're bringing in Zegris, he would become probably, I would say, as of right now, your fifth best forward confidently, you could – Definitely
1: not better than Cousins. Yeah, I'd say No, fifth. I wasn't
0: saying Cousins, no. But, I mean, you would put Tage, Cousins, Tuck – and then maybe Skinner ahead of him, definitely Skinner ahead of him. Yeah, yeah. So you fifth, say you're yeah. you're bringing in a guy of that level to be your fifth best forward, who's that young, who has that much talent, that much skill, and being able to insulate him with the multitude of talent and skill that you have right now. That kind of feels like that's the kind of environment where a guy would be able to really maximize his full potential. We've seen Granado be able to do that with guys that are very skill-focused, that their game is is kind of driven by that. Granado has the ability to to maximize and get the most out of those players and put them in positions where they're able to succeed. And I don't think anybody would deny the fact that Zgris is just oozing with skill, It's just a matter of him being able to harness it and being able to take that next step in his career. I don't need him to be Sean Couturier in his own zone, but what I do need is for him to not be an absolute crater back there. But if he is, he's got to be able to be putting up points to offset it. If you're able to bring in Zgris and he's able to elevate himself to becoming like a consistent 70, 80 point guy playing next to Dylan Cousins and Jack Quinn and setting those two guys up where Cousins is kind of like you're, you know, driving the bus there. Quinn is your finisher and Zegris is your playmaker. It's something that I think is worth taking a, a risk on and a chance on when you're talking about that level of talent. Like you're not trading for the guy with the assumption that who he is now is who he's going to be for the rest of his career. You're trading for this guy because he's becoming available right now. And there's a chance that he can be able to elevate his game and take it to the next level that, he wouldn't be able to otherwise do with Anaheim.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. That I guess is my argument
0: for it is like, you're not trading for who he is right now. You're trading for what you think he could become in this lineup.
1: So think about it this way. Why would Anaheim be trading him? They're in the middle of a rebuild. He's 22. Why are they trading him?
0: I would say if it's they're far apart on contract negotiations and they think that they are farther off from competing than he maybe wants Maybe he's trying to get more money than they're willing to invest. And within RFA though. Right. But within the past two drafts, they had taken Leo Carlson and Mason McTavish. Right. Obviously your forward group isn't set with just those two guys, but Carlson really profiles as a legit one C. So do I think that they want to trade him or that they're like chomping at the bit To No, of course not. But I think we're just kind of working with the information that we're being given right now, and that's being told to us. And so if the negotiations are far apart, and yeah, maybe they had an initial impression of Zgris or think that, okay, Ziegris isn't going to be this like first-line center kind of guy. Bingo. Right. I agree with that. That means they're down on him. Right, but just because a guy is not going to be a, a franchise first line center doesn't mean automatically that like there's no value there and if you're well, bringing him in here you don't need him to be that. Anaheim kind of needs him to be more than what the Sabres would need him to be.
1: At the moment, yeah, but you like just mentioned Carlson and McTavish there. So like if they think he's a second uh, line guy, then they can hopefully I don't know, we'll, we'll see how that rebuild goes, but they could theoretically try to push him down. I'm trading him is pretty drastic at this I age. I agree. There's not a lot of guys at his age, his talent you just trade because you have a lot of confidence in him. I mean you could you could make the bet if you're Kevin Adams that Pat Verbeek is wrong and you know more than him, but that would make me a little nervous. Just someone calling like, Hey, you want our uh twenty two year old, just recent top ten pick who had sixty points
0: uh last year, who is under team control. I Get that, and it, sure, why is Anaheim making this guy available for one? We're just operating under the assumption that they actually are, we don't know that that's the case. And if you want me to be honest, the chances of Anaheim trading Zegers, I would say like 30 percent. Like, I, I don't think this is like an overly likely thing, we're just operating with the information that we have. But I also think though that is the Anaheim front office and a front office that you trust? Is this and is, is the Sabres front office a front office that you trust or at least trust more
1: kind of trust more, more than the people Anaheim, that they yeah. have
0: there and their ability to identify talent. Do you trust that more?
1: Yeah, probably than Anaheim.
0: Yeah. So I think that kind of answers that question for me. Like, yeah, sure. I don't know. I I don't think that it needs to be this like big inconspicuous thing of like, Ooh, why are they like looking into trading him? Like sometimes this kind of happens with guys like this and they just become available and it's for whatever reason, but They just do stuff very often, though. I don't think
1: this kind of situation, a top 10 pick who's had some success in the NHL gets traded at 22. I think that's extremely rare.
0: I mean, I think that is, but I'm just saying more so of like under 25 or under 26 guys like. Jack, PLD, Timo Meyer, like those are three examples. Yeah. Are they the same? And were they a little older when they were traded? Yes, but it's still the premise of. Yeah, I understood I, all the
1: reasons too. PLD wanted to be traded. Jack wanted to be traded, and the Sharks are rebuilding. And Meyer is going to be a UFA soon. But how do we no, know that's also, also not?
0: But how do we know that's also not uh, maybe a component of why Zegers like why this is coming out now? Like, what if Zegers is getting frustrated with the contract negotiations? This is like, all right, I see guys around the league who are utilizing their leverage of being star players to be able to make moves to get themselves out of the situations that they're in. And if he's not happy with the direction of the team, or if something's going on with their contract negotiations what is keeping him from leak how far apart we are right now? And if there's any teams that actually have legitimate interest there, like let's put that out there. Let's start to drum up a little bit of interest where, I mean, you yeah, talked about it at length that we're stepping into an era with the NHL right now where star players are really being able to kind of take control of their careers in a way that they haven't before.
1: Yeah, I agree, but I would also be kind of, <laughs> it's kind of, I don't know, suspicious is the right word, like three years in you're making that kind of demand, but uh, not even three years, two years in, two full years, but also it didn't, the, what, the report that came out and it came from like French radio, if I'm not mistaken, was he,
0: that the ducks were looking to shop him. Not that he was asking out. Right. Right. But again, yeah. that also kind of, if it's coming from the end again, because of the fact that all of this is, is pure speculation, that can easily come from an agent too, that they're looking to shop him. Also, I'm sorry, but, like, if you're a player of his level, yeah, I get it that if Anaheim doesn't want to pay him, like, eight-plus mil or nine million a year whatever, offering Trevor Zegers $4 million is insulting. Yeah. Straight up. It is.
1: It's a a bad way of business they're doing over there, and I would be in hard asses with Zegers and Terry like that. Doesn't
0: that kind of answer the question for you? I mean –
1: Maybe that's – well, I don't know. Maybe – maybe his side leaked it. I don't know. That's it's, it's a really interesting thing. Maybe, uh maybe it's like before people were thinking, maybe it is just Brisson making noise. It but could, could be definitely,
0: but, but man, what a, it's a weird situation. I'm not trying to make <sighs> like, this is like a common thing. I know that it's weird. I'm just saying that like you can, because of all of this being based on speculation right now. And if we get more information, obviously we could speak to that, but based on what we know, based on the speculation that's out there right now, if you wanted to do a little bit of the mental work to try and connect some of the lines, like it's not that far-fetched as to why this could be happening. Like,
1: yeah, it's true. It's, it's not, it's a little crazy, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know what to make of it. I think I need to see more smoke before I believe that this is a real possibility, but I kind of stand by what I said earlier. I think there's other teams out there and who knows if they will make this kind of offer that should,
0: that should be more,
1: uh, interested in getting Zegris. I think it'll like, I don't know, Montreal?
0: Maybe St. Louis?
1: Ooh, I kind of think they should go in the other direction. Yeah? I think it's time for them to... I don't know if they've really done this in my lifetime, but it's time for them to blow it up.
0: I feel like they've already kind of been in the... pro. I mean, they were in a slow process of doing it, but...
1: It's, well, they've done this multiple times. Like a slow, like, get rid of some guys, bring some other guys. In. Like when they traded for O'Reilly, for example. Yeah. I mean, that worked out well, but like yeah i think not to get off topic but i think st louis it's time
0: it's interesting it definitely is i mean fair to ask the question like what to what do you really have in robert thomas and jordan kairu like i think both of those guys are are really quality like good players for sure but like to what level can Robert Thomas be a one C to what level can Jordan Kairou be a focal point of an offensive line? Like, I, th- I think that that's very fair to question at this point. And while they could be good pieces, it kind of gives like maybe to a lesser extent, even similar vibes to the whole, like is Nick Suzuki a one C like is, yeah. Nick, is Nick Suzuki better than Robert Thomas? Uh, I don't think so. I think I it's think so. close. I would yeah. like, I'd be curious to see their underlyings a little bit deeper, but it's kind of that same conversation. But anyways, though, so yeah, I, I back to Zegers, though. My take on it, again, I think it's very unlikely. I understand why people wouldn't want to do it, and I understand why it wouldn't be the best idea for the Sabres. And if they don't make the move, I will be at peace with it. But I think that there are benefits there. I think that Zegers does have the ability – to take a step in a don granado led system and being insulated with those players and i think that he can grow because again that's kind of the key point like yes he's bad at defense right now and there are pitfalls in his game and he has to put it more together but like he's 22 years old like he is not hit his prime yet he's going to be soon stepping into it like within the next like one to two years really is like kind of hitting his mark with that but like There's room to mold his game. There's room to improve his game and to work with him here. And I trust the front office and coaching staff of the Sabres miles and miles more than I trust that of an Anaheim. Absolutely. And that's for sure. And to just put the cherry on top again, I don't give a shit about being objective right now. It would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Uh, Speaking of fun. (laughs) Oh, Let's have less of it. Let's 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 talk about it. Pat Kane folks, legitimate smoke there now. Like it's it's real. As we had said at the top, Jeremy White's Secret Sabers source had reached out to him for the first time in a while to confirm that the interest is real. Chad Dominicus said that he has had recent conversations confirming that the interest is real there. And I think to a lesser extent than Zegris, I can hear arguments in favor of it. Like, I think that there is understandably a lot of reservations about the hip surgery and what kind of player that he's going to be at 35 years old coming back and how that's going to work. And and just the general premise of an older guy blocking younger players and everything that also I completely get, I guess for me, the argument in favor of it that somebody could make, or that I've at least been thinking of, which would make me like not, feel like it's like that big of a a thing one i believe my um evolving hockey's model has him his his aav at like 3.75 or something like that for what he would be projected to get that is a drop in the bucket for what the sabers have at their disposal right now if we're talking about a one-year deal here i think in addition to that it's pretty undeniable that the hip issues were affecting him last year. Like he was saying as much during the season last year, it's been a big thing in the off season here. We've been hearing it a ton ourselves and and it, it was a big deal for him last year. And yes, there is a absolute argument to be made also that like the defensive side of his game, bad, straight up bad. One of the worst defensive players in the league. And you make that move, with the belief that you are going to get a guy that's going to be able to make up for that with his offensive contributions, and especially if you're able to play him with more of a defensive forward. For me, like I said, 3.75 is pretty inconsequential. I think that having a guy with the playoff experience that he has, similar to what they did with bringing in Eric Johnson, having a cup winner in there and being able to navigate through the highs and lows of the season, I think that there's value to that. I also think that you're not bringing in Kane to be the savior of this team. You're bringing him in where the Zgris would maybe be the fifth best forward on this team. You're bringing in Kane to be like the seventh, maybe like the sixth or seventh. And you're not having to give up an asset to give him. And as we saw last year with relying on some of the younger guys and just in general, some of the inconsistency with the forward group there, it's hard to rely on those guys to, be able to play at the level that you need them to night in and night out. Now, is that to say that Kane automatically would walk in and be able to do that? No, but if his physicals come back, looking good, you're able to see him in an on ice workout setting and he's looking good. And you feel like there's a little bit of the jump in his game that wasn't there last year. It's a pretty low risk move for me. Like I, again, like you're not going out and getting him to like, play next to tage or something like that because there's some gaping hole there you're getting him for depth scoring and you're getting him to put him on the first power play unit and bump middle set down to the second unit and being able to get some some quality contributions from him there to to up your power play which already was solid but again like he's a he's a pretty elite power play scorer or at least he was and so your hope is that he's able to come back from that but ultimately the question is is the juice worth the squeeze and i think that when it comes to Kane my initial answer to that would be no, but because it is a pretty inconsequential move and I think it's a pretty low risk medium reward kind of move. Again, it's not something that I'm going to like lose sleep over if they actually end up going and doing it, I guess your thoughts.
1: Yeah. My thoughts are, I think of this, like the way you put it is similar to the, a lot of conversations we had early in the Potrille era before we knew Potrille was a disaster, but good moves in a vacuum. Jimmy mm-hmm. VC for whatever they traded for him. Uh Nathan Boyou for a third round pick. All these guys are like a lot of, and you now some of these trades are bad, obviously, but a lot of good moves in a vacuum. But I don't really subscribe to that, especially when the Sabres are in the position they are. Because the move this move is not made in a vacuum. It's very specific. They have 13 forwards under contract. One of them can't play till January. So couple things. First of all, you got to replace someone. Kane's got to be replacing someone. And there's two main guys people have talked about him replacing Quinn until he gets back. So we'll start with that one. Quinn's supposed to get back basically early January. Kane is not starting the season. We don't have a date when he starts. We have, he needs at least another month
0: mm-hmm. before
1: he signs somewhere and gets practicing with a team, which puts us, you know, after the start of the season. But that's an at least, that's not a definitive date. So you'd be signing Kane in that case to replace Quinn for less than half a season and maybe even less than that that's one thing the other thing is well that obviously in that case that's going to be a weird thing because where is he going to play after Quinn's gone well people brought up the second guy replacing Olafson. well that's not that easy to just say you're to Pat Kane you're going to replace Olafson. hey Pat Kane who is only still playing only still going through this strenuous rehab because he wants a chance at another cup and you know, theoretically, because he wants to play. You're going to replace Victor Olsen. You're going to replace the guy we scratched down the stretch last year for every important game. You're going to replace the guy who barely plays at even strength, the guy who played less less overall than Kyle Loposo last year, less at even strength than Zemgis Gergensen. So you're going to replace that guy. And down the stretch, it got worse. Like, you look at his minutes at the end of the season, the guy's playing 11 minutes a game. Like, he had a big stretch in the middle the middle third of the season where he's playing well. He got actually a lot of minutes. After that, it was couldn't be more clear. Granato doesn't trust Olofsson. So let's say if Kane's not here, Olofsson's role this year is he's filling in for Middlestat while well, Middlestat fills in for Quinn, I think is going to happen. Yeah. And then when Quinn comes back, if they're pretty healthy, I think he's going to be either in the box or on another team. He's he, they're replacing that. So then you come to the other issue you mentioned where you, you proud of accurately said Kane would be like the seventh best forward. I think overall that actually, despite what people might think, is kind of true at this point. So he i don't know if there's a reason to play him in the top six and then that gets tough you're looking for a guy to shelter in the bottom six uh that's kind of a burden like it's it's kind of the classic you're not good enough to play in the top six but you don't have the you don't have the necessary skill at this stage or production to play in the top six but you don't have the skill set to play in the bottom six not that the bottom six guy has to be this specific kind of guy so i don't know how well that fits the the other things i want to hit on though a uh, couple big things one the hip resurfacing. I've seen this over and over. People refer to this as he was injured last year and now he's not injured. Sorry, guys. That's not what hip resurfacing is. Sure. If you think that, that's fine. I mean, anyone who's out there that like ha- thinks that, I'm not saying you're an idiot because you don't know the exact injury Pat Kane has. I'm just saying, look into what re- hip resurfacing is. Go to the hip resurfacing Wikipedia and read about the surgery he got. And like, I know what you're thinking. We've come a long way medically, especially for athletes. I don't know if everyone watched Thursday Night Football this week. They talked about what happened to Brock Purdy's elbow and how they fixed it in a short time to get him ready for the season. There's really strong adhesive tape in his elbow right now. That's actually true, which <laughs> is insane. I don't know if it's there permanently, but resurfacing. It sounds scary because it is. It's a surgery that the average age of the person who gets it is in their 50s. Like, it's it's not a surgery you just – you, like, it's not like getting an ACL repaired these days where it's like good as new or a broken ankle or anything like that. Or even, you know, Tommy John and baseball has become great for that really reliable. It's not like that. It's a surgery for middle-aged men who are hobbled after it, not hobbled like you can't walk, but hobbled in terms of you're not the same guy physically. You, you know, you're, you're, you're a part big, important part of your body changed. So. Anyway, like I said, you might think like, well, it's an NHL player. It's the best of the best. And we're in 2023. Things are getting better. And there's not really that much evidence of that from the NHL level. I mean, I'm sure he'll be able to live a normal life outside of hockey. I'm not saying he's like got something to worry about there, but as far as I know, and anyone can tell me if there's someone I'm missing, there have been four guys besides Kane before him that got hipper surfacing and attempted to play again. Mike Sillinger, who had such a tough, tough time rehabbing that he just decided to retire. Ryan Kessler, who was just unable to play again, hasn't been able to come back. He also got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. I don't know how much, how relevant that was, but he, he got hipper surfacing and never saw him again. Ed Jovanovsky got hipper surfacing and was so not the same guy that Florida waived him and no one ever signed him again. And Nick Backstrom last year, who I actually think is a great comparison. Uh, I don't know if you agree, Brendan, but Backstrom, different skill set. But you look at this guy, he's been a star. He was a star when he was young. Uh, kind of brought him, was a, a part of bringing a moribund franchise back to relevance. Cup winner, but a star for 15 years. Thousand point scorer. Declining slowly, but still pretty good in his 30s. Boom, age 34 season. Terrible because his nagging hip injury. Gets a hip surgery. Kane, what happens? Unknown. Backstrom, not good last year. Actively pretty bad about a half a point player, slow, not good in his own zone. A big part of why Washington all of a sudden is pretty bad rather than a consistent playoff team. That's it. Those are the guys. There's no like, Oh, well it worked out for this one guy. It hasn't yet. So we should be saying here, Kane would have to be making history. Certainly possible, but that's, that's a thing. We can't just say on a
0: lot, like you're banking on a lot for it to work.
1: Absolutely. Of course. And that's before I get to this point. Uh, I don't know how much his hip was bothering him before last season, but I, I think people look at the thing like, oh, he played on a bad Blackhawks team two years ago at 92 points. Playing on a bad team helps from a points perspective if you're in his specific situation where you get to play every minute, basically. You get to be the number one winger in the NHL in terms of minutes. Number one at that age. And you get to play the power play basically as much as you want. And, like, yeah, if he had two bums as line mates, I'd be like, yeah, that does hurt you. He got to pass to Debrinket at even strength. One of the best scorers in the league. So, like... Yeah, it doesn't really matter for Pac Kane's stat line what's happening on the second, third, and fourth lines, which was bad, obviously. It doesn't really matter to that. So, what really mattered is that he got to do, he got to play that much. But like I've said, that we've done this breakdown before. When you break down how much he actually paid and how much his scoring came in the power play that year, first of all, he only he had, I shouldn't say only, he had 26 goals. So many of those came in the power play that his even strength scoring rate was like 250th in the NHL. If I'm not mistaken, two years ago, Vinny Henestroza had a higher even strength scoring rate than him, which that's not an advanced stat. That's how often you score goals at even strength It's how good of an even strength scorer you are. So that's an example. You can talk linemates all you want. There were guys playing with total bums that were ahead of him. There's third and fourth liners ahead of him. And then, like I, I, I mentioned then, that he's a good power play player. The, the Sabres talent is not their problem in the power play. It was structure. They have a good power play. That's not a need at all. And then it was even strength assist two years ago, even strength passing still there, still definitely an above average, even strength passer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, wasn't the case last year. I don't know how much it had to do with the hip, but I look, like, like you said, if I brought, if I talked to profile, of the guy two years ago, and you say we can bring him in to be a middle six guy, if there was room for like 3.7, I'd say yes, but you have this other issue here. Like this is a real issue. Uh, and then just wanted to get to one other thing. By that real issue, I mean the hip thing. Uh, I wanted to get to one other thing, which is – well, two other things real quick. One is the experience thing, which I think is important. I think you just can't have a team of young and experienced guys. But I think the idea that that would be so necessary that you have a three-time cup winner, I think that's when the experience conversation starts to get kind of silly. Like Eric Johnson, what's he's going to – that, that bow's only won one cup. Alex Tuck, he lost the cup. He can't tell you what it's like to be in the playoffs. Like we know it's a different animal to go deep in the playoffs, but the Sabres now do have a lot of playoff experience guys. And they have one cup winner who they're already kind of paying a guy that's hanging on for dear life to being an NHL player. They're ha- playing a former first overall pick to be that cup experience guy. I don't know if they need another one. Uh, and that's, that's basically it. I mean, the best way I can see it is, if he's doing a combination of replacing Olofsson and you're maneuvering Greenway, maybe down the lineup as well, I guess. I don't know if they would do that to Greenway already, or if you're just banking on someone will be injured and that his hip will be fine. Um, That's the thing though. getting at the hip. I don't, do you have to bring him
0: in for practice and look at how he skates and shit? I'm sure like, that there's probably going to be private workouts or something. And that's the thing. Gotta like, be right. The, how he looks in these workouts will preclude all of the other conversations when it comes to fit, when it comes to the locker room, all of that other stuff. Because if the front office goes and watches him skate or they bring him in, whatever the, the lookout or the, the setup of that would be. And he just looks like he did last year, or he looks like even like, I guess like moderately serviceable. I don't think that they make the move and they shouldn't make the move obviously. But if you, are watching him on the ice and it's like okay this guy has a little bit of his pop back that he didn't have last year like very visible that like it's not a backstrom situation or anything like that then yeah i think you can absolutely at least consider all of the other things but that is like your baseline like if you if you watch him and he does not have that jolt that you're hoping for him to have and again that's asking a lot at 35 years old then it's a non-starter you don't even bother having the conversation in the first place so that's really what it's going to come down to and that's kind of I guess my whole point with it is that I feel as though it's an inconsequential generally low risk move if the physicals come back and he looks good and you're happy with how he looks I think that also with all of this it speaks to how Kevin Adams in the front office view the forward group right now like I think that there's not a, it's not a coincidence that it's kind of weird with like the timing of everything right now, but that the Sabres have been connected to two forwards as the season is just starting here. Like, I, I don't think that that's a coincidence here. And I think that maybe to at least some degree that speaks to how they feel about the forward group right now, or like the bottom half of the forward group, I should say. I think the other side of it too, is there's two, two other sides of this coin. Could there be better options out there that you can go and look to? to potentially fill this this void or whatever they may think. But on top of that, could Rosean or could Kulik step in and give you more value in that slot than what a 35-year-old cane coming off of a surgery could give you? And if you feel like that's the case and you can, then again, there's no sense in even wanting to have the conversation. Just see what you have there internally first. And they may even get that opportunity too that may be what they're operating out of right now. Like if Kane isn't able to like, cause we already know he's been skating for a month or two. Like I think he was back skating earlier than what was initially reported. If he, if we're looking at like November, or December, for example, for him to be back on the ice, the Sabres have the luxury right now of being able to roll out Isaac Rosean and play him on the third line or put out Yuri Kulich out there on the third line. See what you have there. See if these guys can stick because then you won't have to worry about it. Like this isn't, there's a connection happening right now, but like this is not something that's going to happen before the regular season starts. I think it would be baffling and shocking, completely shocking if that was the case. So the Sabres have that benefit right now. Like you don't have to do this right now, but you may not even have to get to that point in the first place if one of these guys stick or if you feel like, wow, like, we're putting Middlestadt up on the second line. He's fitting in there, and you know Krebs is able to step up on that third. But I'm telling you right now, that third line is looking ugly. Like having the conversations about this stuff, like that's that's really the thing for me. Is it, it's not about Kane and it's not about Zgris. It's about how that third line looks. And until so what do that- you what do you when you're saying the third line? What exact combo are you talking about? I think the way that the depth chart is kind of shaking out right now, and maybe this is presumptuous, if you're looking at Greenway, Olafson, and Krebs as your third line, I do not feel good about that at all.
1: I I agree. And if uh well, I don't know about this Eagles thing, but I think a way to looking at it is if you think reasonably, which I think I'm being kind of nice to him, that Pat Kane can be back in the lineup and effective by November 15th, you're basically Six weeks away from uh, Olafson disappearing, I think, and Casey getting dropped down to the third line, or Quinn getting Quinn starting out in the third line, and it'll look better in that case, right? Yeah, so like at that point, I mean, it looks bad now. Are we
0: talking about, I mean, this is the case. We saw this last year, and not that you have to be like married to this, but like every point clearly matters here, and whether it's you get to November or something like that, like we're still talking about half a season Jack Quinn will not be on this team he will not be on the ice with them yeah I don't feel good about that at all and again this I, I I bring this up too because of the fact that this front office and this coaching staff seem invested in really giving Greenway a shot I personally don't fully believe in the player there and I think that they gave up too much for him, especially when you consider comparatively. I think it made sense, like you said, like in a vacuum, where it's like, okay, Granado has experience with him, and maybe, you know, he was in the doghouse in Minnesota, blah, blah, blah. The forward group as it is right now is not, I, I think, where it needs to be to be able to actually, like, make the step in the run that they need to that could be a completely different conversation a year from now when all of the the first rounders that we've been talking about are maybe a little bit more equipped to step into these new roles but as it is right now like i don't have an overwhelming amount of confidence in that third line the fourth line i'm it's it's fine like they're they'll be fine they're going to keep their heads above water they are going to not be like getting caved in, you know, when they're on the ice defensively, because you have quality defensive guys in in Gergenson's Jose and to a lesser extent a Pozo. So that's fine. But you need to have some scoring on your third line there. And the big issue, whatever you want to call it, that we've had with not necessarily the handling of Krebs, but really Krebs being able to maximize his potential is who you're playing him with. And again, I cannot stress this enough. I'm not saying this in the context of of going out and getting Kane or going out and getting Zegras, but like sticking Krebs with Olafson and Greenway on your third line is not surrounding him with talent that's going to be able to elevate his game. It's it's surrounding him with people that he's going to have to cover for defensively and is going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting at five on five, especially in the offensive zone. Like, yep. I don't, I, again, we don't know like is Peyton Krebs is going to turn out to be like a play driver or something like that at some point. Maybe, I don't know, but not enough to the point now where he's able to carry those two guys around with him. And I think this speaks to the bigger picture of what we've talked about. I don't feel like, even though there's so much optimism and there's so much youth and there's so much talent, I don't think that this front office did enough this off. I
1: I agree. Yeah. to, To make the playoffs this year. Absolutely.
0: Like not at all.
1: Yeah. I No, I, we've talked about that. I, I very much agree. I don't know if bringing Kane is the answer, though. because was like the issues I laid out. I don't, but don't but even know what he's going to be like, ready.
0: But it, but it's the premise of it. That is my absolutely. whole This I, I know, like, I'm trying to just, like, pose all of this as, like, seeing both sides. So I don't want anybody to, like, come away from this episode being like, oh, Brendan wants them to go get Pat Kane. Or Brendan thinks that they absolutely need to make the Zegras move. I don't. I just think that they've kind of maybe it's not the best way of putting it to a lesser degree, kind of put themselves in a corner here because they didn't do enough this off season to address this. And so now we're two weeks away from the season starting. And there's some real questions here in a year where you are not only expected to make the playoffs by like the league and taking this big step, but like you have to, there is like this year, like the last couple of years, as we've talked about, the growth and the development and everything, I know last year was tough, missing the playoffs by a point. But you could still look at that year and be like, there are some real good to come out of that. I don't give a shit if Tage scores 70 goals this year. If they don't make the playoffs, this year is a failure. Full stop.
1: I would say, though, that the idea of the third line looking bad and having a hole to fill or an area to improve, that's more of a concern if you're trying to be a cup contender than a playoff team. I think, and this is a huge if, if they get average goaltending this year, if the decor plays the way we think it would play, if the Fords are more or less the same than li- as last year, and maybe you get a couple visits from some friends, even if like Greenway doesn't take a step, and even if Krebs doesn't take a step, and even if Quinn's out for half the season, I don't know is that that's a playoff team. They're easily a playoff team. That
0: because the East is unpredictable and is really competitive, man. Like,
1: Here's the thing. If they get average goaltending, I know I said that was a huge if.
0: It's a huge if Taylor. Yeah,
1: That well, that's the problem. I guess that's the real problem I have is that they didn't do anything in that because I think if you just left the forward group as is knowing that there will be uh, guys on their way in the future and they did make moves at defense and they will have one more move to make that really just just needed a guy to pair with Levi. And I know that guy wasn't really out there. There wasn't that many guys available, but I don't know how much of an effort they made either. So that's, that's the big thing to me. I didn't even think about that till now, but like, I actually think, yeah, you can have a messed up third line and be a playoff team. Yeah. But can you do that? If, uh, at the same time, your top two lines are pretty bad at defending. Can you do while also your defensive core while promising, is maybe incomplete and at the same time your goaltending is 895. I don't know. At that point, it's tough. At that point, you get to like, wow, who are they going to really pass in that situation?
0: Well, and it's also, I mean, look, we're probably talking about, I think we would agree. I, I think we'll get to this when we get to our previews. And I don't want to give too much, I guess, right now off the bat, but like playoffs are like, it's, it's a very real possibility. You know, yeah. while we have all these concerns, it's a real possibility, but you have to consider how many teams – like, I, I think they they clear Montreal, Ottawa, and Detroit pretty safely. I think in terms of the wild card conversation, they clear Columbus very safely and Philly very safely for that matter. I think they'll be better than Washington. Do I yeah. know for sure? No. Same thing I know you for sure. You, you do? I know for sure. Points-wise?
1: Washington sucks. No one on the team is getting better.
0: I don't disagree, but they still have guys there that if they stay the same, that they're still going to be able to compete. I mean, one of those guys is pretty
1: hobbled. now. I mean, who's the who besides Ovechkin? Like Carlson, I guess?
0: Let me pull him up really quick. I mean, yeah, there's Carlson there. You have to see what's going to happen when it comes to, you know, I mean, Kuznetsov, I think, is an interesting one to see how he's going to be. Obviously, we just talked about Backstrom and that whole thing is just not great right now but I guess the thing is if, if I mean you, you have Anthony Kemper. Mantha there like is he able to take a step like what is like another like younger guy like how is Sonny Milano gonna fit into the mix um I mean it, it, he's gonna be coming back from injury but even though he's older he is he has scored and he's produced when he's been healthy in the form of Max Pacioretty there like Dylan Strom was all right with them last year you still have Tom Wilson and then on their defense yeah it's not great I mean after Carlson it's not ideal but Darcy Kemper is nothing to slouch at Charlie then. That- Vin- a really good backup who'd you say their backup is charlie lingren
1: ah okay so that's something i guess that would be the thing if if darcy kemper has a really good year which is possible and the sabers goaltending is bad but maybe washington could be better how i don't conf- know i think all they're-
0: right let's, let's look at it this way how confident are you that the sabers are going to be better than florida uh
1: not confident
0: okay how can all right and then let's just say for argument's sake the top three in each division will be in the Metro, let's say New Jersey, Carolina, and New York, and in the Atlantic, let's just say, like not in order or anything like that, but like Toronto, Tampa, and either Boston or Florida. Like, do you think that the Sabres are going to be definitively better than Boston? Uh, No. Do you think that they would be definitively better than Pittsburgh? Like full confidence that they will be better than Pittsburgh?
1: No, but you can't. I think there's an that.
0: argument for it. But. I don't
1: think that's a good way to decide if you're a like a good shot for the wild card. Like, I think they could be, but like to, being full confident that you're better than what would it be that are going to be left out of the playoffs, eight teams. Well, that's not yeah. usually how it works. Like, Taylor, there's the- a lot of like, look at last year, the, like the Islanders were what? Four points ahead of us. Florida was one point ahead of us. Pittsburgh was one point behind. Like, you're going to be in that mix. That's what I'm saying. I think they're going to be in that mix. That-
0: But that's literally my whole point is what are you doing to separate yourself from the pack? Because the Sabres had the ability to, you're right. There has not been a lot of turnover on these other teams. And it's the same thing for the Sabres. That's my whole point. Is that like, yeah, yeah. we're we're saying preseason, like considerably certainly better. Yeah. It's a complete speculation, but last year you were very close to all of those teams that I had just gone through and mentioned. And that's why I brought up those teams specifically. What did you do to get better? Like Clifton and Johnson should help. I think one thing we can maybe talk about in our next episode too, the the Daleen Clifton pairing that was the case at the scrimmage and it's and through training camp because then that opens you up to a Samuelson and power partner, which I, I I think is interesting. But like, that is my whole point is that all of those teams, Washington included, were all in the conversation, and we're all close. and the Sabres had the ability as those teams did not do anything of like major substance. I know Pittsburgh obviously going out and getting Carlson is one thing, like at least they're doing something like the Sabres did not do anything that I felt like was a real needle mover here in a time where you have these teams that either due to their aging nature or like their cap strapped or anything like that, that they did not have the capability to do what the Sabres had at their disposal this off Yes. I know we both are in agreement on that, but that's like kind of why I'm like viewing that comparison like that because these are the teams that you're going to be competing with. One of them went out and did take a big swing. The Sabres were more well-equipped than any team in the NHL to go out and make that big kind of move to separate themselves from the pack and get them from being a wild card contender to a division contender, and they didn't do that.
1: I agree. So I would say that's kind of what I'm going back to what I'm saying. Like, the move to, make, to really solidify this being a playoff year – and to address the biggest need from last year was to get a goalie. And maybe Levi's that guy. Like, maybe they just look at it that way. I just would have liked, you know, he's a young guy. So you're going to have a lot of someone else playing. So I just would have liked that to have been someone who's a uh, good, not UPL or Comrie. So I guess we'll see on that front. I don't know. But I would say that if the Sabres had gotten, let's say, Tristan Jari in the offseason. And it was a Jari-Levi pairing, and everything else was the same. And you asked me, are you 100% confident the Sabres are going to be ahead of Florida or the Islanders or Pittsburgh? Well, Pittsburgh, yes. I would say Pittsburgh, yes, because they wouldn't have Jari. But the other teams, I'd say no. No, I'm not 100% confident at all. I'm, would you be more good about it? I'd be more confident. Yeah, i feel good about it. But I just – I think uh, it's – things are pretty bunched up last year. By the way, by the bye here uh, – Ottawa or Washington did the same number of points as Detroit last year and six fewer than Ottawa. Say that one more time. Washington last year, same number of points as Detroit, six fewer than Ottawa. I think Detroit did more than Washington to get better. And I think Ottawa was mostly the okay. same. Uh, Ottawa Ottawa's young guys. I might be getting better. I'm planting my flag on that one. Washington is
0: cooked. I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying for being in the conversation. I don't think they will be like at all. I
1: don't think there'll be any more in
0: the conversation than
1: Ottawa will be. I, th- I think that below Ottawa in the conversation to me.
0: And you put Detroit above both of them. Yeah, slightly. That's all pretty close too. Yeah, but- I think Detroit. I mean, even though the Sabres are in a better spot, like Detroit did more to get better. Than- I guess they had to, but like they did more to get better than the Sabres did.
1: Yeah, they were eleven so- points
0: behind us, but
1: yeah, they 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 did they they were urgent and maybe they they had more reason to feel urgent, but. I guess we'll see. Uh, would also like to note that Washington's – this is insane to me. I would never have thought this. All right, Washington's leading scorer last year was Ovechkin, second Strom, third Kuznetsov. Nothing weird there. Their fourth leading scorer was Eric Gustafsson. Yeah, baby. 38 points. They can't score anymore. TJ Oshie last year had 35 points in 58 games.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not saying that I think Washington is going to, like, go on a run this year or something like that i think eh, not like a spoiler or anything like that but i think they're going to be third last in the metro like i don't think they're going to be good but i also don't think that they're in a position right now where they're just even though they are declining and i don't think that they're going to be a playoff team i also don't think that they're going to roll over and i think that there is a gap between columbus and philly being at the bottom of that division. And then Washington being that like third last team. Like I think Washington is closer to like the Islanders and Pittsburgh than they are to the other two teams, like to, to Philly and Columbus. I disagree. Really?
1: Well, let me tell you, man, they were only five points ahead of the flyers last year. They really, and they weren't even bad in the first half. They really fell apart. And I know Carlson was hurt, but old guys get hurt. I mean, it happens. And I know like, you know, like Oshi. none of those guys played as many games. They're not going to play 82 games all of them. They're old. So I actually think, yeah, that if I had to look at cohorts in the Metro, like you look at the top three, Carolina, New York, New Jersey, obvious. Like you said, Islanders and Pittsburgh after that. I think I – and I think Columbus will be improved. Not good, but they literally couldn't be worse. I think I have well, – you know, maybe Columbus could be worse. It's been a lot of shit going on there. But anyway, I, I mean, would have Washington ahead of those two teams, but closer to them.
0: Yeah. What was that? I said they did make a couple of like bigger moves with like the Severson deal and then Provorov and everything like that. But I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't think that you can really like discount the fact, and I'm not saying that you are, but like they had John Carlson for 40 games last year. They also traded Dmitry Orlov at the deadline too, which also negatively impacted. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm being a little bit more bullish on them or a little bit more high on them than I should be. But like I said, I still think at least they will be, sticking around at least somewhat in the conversation. I don't think, I I think when all is said and done, they'll be like, whoever the second wildcard team is, I think there'll maybe be like three, two or three teams ahead of of Washington in that gap there. But I don't think that they're dead just quite yet. One more year and maybe that changes, but I think that there may be like a little bit of juice in there. If Carlson stays healthy. Mm. No. We'll see, but I don't disagree. Like it was bad. Gustafson being your your fourth leading scorer is is bad. But again, like you only had Tom Wilson for thirty three games last year as well. Uh, I mean, Anthony Mantha missed some time for them. It, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. You know, we'll, we'll we'll see there. But again, I think it just goes back to the point of like it's not about Washington and it's about what the Sabers didn't do, and that's kind of why we're having like these considerations for these conversations in the first place. True. Any last thoughts you'd like to share, Taylor? Watch Theater Camp. It was good. You did like it. Good. I saw your your, uh, letterbox uh, on Instagram that you had posted of it. It was solid.
1: Uh, And uh, what's the other thing?
0: Mm, Go Bills. Go Bills. Yeah, we're going to have some some big updates on Thursday's episode because allegedly uh, Taylor Yvonne and I are having a wing eating contest during the Bills game today. Should be a great time going to be really exciting stuff folks. Well, Taylor, you have any last thoughts you'd like to share before we sign off for the day? Any recommendations?
1: Uh Besides Cedar Camp, Haunting in Venice surprisingly good.
0: Really? I you know what? I saw you would uh check that out. I wanted to ask so you actually did enjoy it? Yeah,
1: I didn't really like um the the other two in the series, Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile, but mm-hmm. Haunting in Venice was uh it was good. Oh, it's it the same
0: trees, is it really?
1: Yeah, the Hercule Perot series with Kenneth Branagh. Uh,
0: I, so I saw Death on the Nile, but I, I so that's why I, I know the kind of like murder mystery vibe obviously was similar. I didn't realize that those movies were connected at all. Oh, that's interesting. All right, I'll have to give it a give it a check out. Tina Fey in a serious role seems kind of interesting.
1: Interesting is a good way to put it. Um, Also, it just, I, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but oh my God, the revelation in it, hilarious. I loved it. Like, they did a
0: great job. Like actually hilarious or like, they it was bad hilarious
1: no uh, hilarious might be the wrong word it's just it's cool as a cool revelation
0: all right cool i'm into that well i uh, for my recommendation i'm going to go with a band so as i had said last episode or as we had talked about i should say i was in denver last week i had went to red rocks to see arctic monkeys perform Great time. Highly recommend Denver and going to Red Rocks. It absolutely lives up to and exceeds all hype and expectations for a venue of that historic nature. So highly, highly recommend, but I want to recommend their opener. They're a band called Fontaine's DC and they are from Ireland. Boy, can you tell from the lead singer, but they're really cool. It's kind of their, their music and their lead singer is kind of like a blend of both Oasis and blur. Like there's a lot of like, Brit pop driven kind of upbeat catchy songs and the lead singer. I mean, it's, it's crazy. He's like, has like the voice of Liam Gallagher from Oasis, but has like the singing style of Damon Albarn from blur and gorillas that kind of like very like attitudey, like staccato-y kind of uh, delivery, like, very energy driven. And then he also very much has the kind of like deeper nasal kind of voice of Liam Gallagher, I guess a bit, but very, very cool. We had actually, they were the opener when we had saw them Taylor and in, in Toronto Um for that show, we had showed up late. I think they only had like one or two songs left by the time we actually like got to our spot. Yeah. venue. so we really didn't get to properly uh watch them and, and assess them and everything, but we got to red rocks early and it was a blast. I, I I really, really enjoyed the set. So if you're looking for some new music, check out Fontaine's DC. They have a, an album that they put out, I believe, either this year or last, within the, the past year or so, called Skinty Fia. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So check them out for something a little different there, for some some new tunes. With that being said, everybody, hopefully the next time you'll, hear, you'll be hearing from us, we'll be coming after a Bills win and along with some Sabres preseason wins as well. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday, everybody. But... In the meantime, make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast, both the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Check out them on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode. Make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows. And additionally, make sure you're checking out their social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us straight up sabers and wherever you're listening to this episode right now, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, whatever it may be. Make sure you're leaving us a nice little rating or review as we would very much appreciate it. Last but not least, we have our wonderful sponsors, folks, who we love oh so dearly in the form of DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure you're using that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. And additionally, make sure you are, of course, stopping over to Thin Man Chandler slash Jackrabbit Chandler when that eventually opens up. But you can go to anywhere where you buy your beer and make sure you're picking up some of those delicious Thin Man beers, whether it's for a Bills game day or now that the Sabres season underway and you want to be a sicko and pregame some Sabres preseason games, make sure you're picking up some Thin Man beers, folks. You will not regret it. Once again, we'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Sabres.